Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay. All right. It's a simple question. Are the NBA Finals going to more, be more interesting now that we've got a team that hasn't been there in anybody's lifetime because they've never been there in the Denver Nuggets and without LeBron, regardless of what happens with the Celtics, and it certainly looks like the Miami Heat are going to be in the final. Are they more interesting? I think they kind of are. My Serbian brother, look, if all the guys on TV, the African-American folks on TV can call every African-American player their brother, I can certainly call Jokic my Serbian brother. That's right, my Serbian brother and his familia got into the NBA Finals. And I am very happy about it. But I got to tell you, I can't wait to talk to Jim Beheim about it because Jokic, really good. LeBron, great first half. But what are we doing in the second half? Look, I know the little shit-stained Dan Levitard and all his little shit-stained minions, they love to talk about their Miami Heat and Eric Spolstra. I do. I know they love it. They're the most insecure fan base, uh, media base in the history of the world. Well, Spolstro's the greatest. Look, saying you're the best coach in the NBA is like saying you're the most handsome man at the Dockets family reunion. It don't mean much. Nice honor, but it don't mean much. Did you see this clown Darvin Ham? Darvin Ham, here's your backside. Here's third base. Which is which? Darvin Ham? No wonder Juwan Howard, Mike Woodson coming into college basketball have been failures. No wonder these guys can't get it done. I don't know. NBA coaching is abysmal. Is abysmal. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to say that. I don't want to make the bosses get mad. My bad. But Levitard says it, and he's the number one uh, podcast in America. I think he called me that a few weeks ago. Why can't I? I'm trying to build an audience here, but I won't do it. Anyway, LeBron with 31 at the half gets nine, barely touches the ball in the second half. Why? Because the idiot on the right and the greatness on the left didn't get together and say, look, we're killing you on the block. We're destroying. And I just how bad Mike Malone is. Mike Malone was going to let LeBron kill him, not double off of D'Angelo Russell, who was shooting 14% from the three-point line in the freaking conference finals. And when he shot one, he airballed it. But Mike Malone, the coach of the Nuggets, wasn't smart enough to figure that out. Ah, we'll go let LeBron go get 30 on the block. How dumb is Darvin Ham? Or maybe Darvin Ham doesn't have control of his team. I mean, that's just stupid. The level of stupid that I watched last night was infuriating. It was. I'm sitting there going, no, you've got to get James on the block. And he's dancing around doing his little prissy thing out at the three-point line, and every time he gets touched, he falls down, and he can't ever get up. My dad used to say, get up, dummy, when I fall down. Get up, dummy. 
get up, dummy. I'm like, oh, all right, I'll get up. Now guys would say, oh, my buddy, are you okay, buddy? Is everything okay, buddy? You fell down, buddy? You scra- Oh, my God, you scraped your knee. We got to go to the hospital. That's what clowns say now. Not my dad, not your dad, not anybody's dad that had some, you know, some satchel to him. Get your ass up. Sack up. Get up. Oh, buddy, are you okay? LeBron falls down, and it's like he's wearing his purse. Remember when he wore his purse famously to a press conference and stormed out? Peace. Good morning, everybody on the YouTube chat. I had enough. I'm sitting there screaming, dummy, get on the block. And did you know, did you know, this is how stupid, and I hate to be negative. I want to be positive. I do. I want to be positive, and I'm going to be in a minute about the Nuggets, but I got to end this. Did you know that some guy named D'Angelo Russell, who's got really pretty hair and really cool tattoos, they're paying him $27 million. Now, I just want to tell you out there, $27 million, my calculations, is over $2 million a month. $2 million a month for this clown. He spends, I guarantee you, more time getting his hair did than he does shooting. LeBron James was out there. They showed it shooting at like 1 p.m. for a night game. And, of course, Mark Jackson said, well, I wouldn't be doing that. Of course not, because you played when you were fat, Mark Jackson. But anyway, where was uh, D'Angelo Russell out there shooting? $27 million. $27 million for that guy. He's got cool hair, man. And he's got really he, he's really a hip guy, and he likes to go to clubs and She's now the other side of it, the Denver Nuggets. Oh, man, do I like Jamal Murray. If you don't know about Jamal Murray, take your boy. Double D's words for it here. Jamal Murray is a fun watch. Nikolai Jokic is a fun watch. Michael Porter Jr. is a fun watch. Aaron Gordon is a fun watch. That team is a fun watch. They play through Nikolai Jokic, my Serbian brother, in the middle of the court, like it's his job, and oh, by the way, it is. Do you see any muscles there? Do you see any definition anywhere? No, he was the fat kid in the neighborhood, that Drake Fanta. He was the fat kid in the neighborhood that couldn't wait to sit. And he's got these big brothers, heavily tattooed. They look like my Serbian brother, Mafia. They do. They look like they're one bad word away from killing you. I don't mean kind of killing you. I mean killing you and making it hurt killing you. I mean casino killing you. That's right. Not just killing you. Put you in the ground and bury you when you're alive killing you. Don't mess with Jokic or my Serbian people. That's right. What a fun team. What a great team to watch. While the Browns out there being a little priss in the second half, dancing around, playing at the three-point line, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, they're moving the ball, they're shaking, they're going on the block. Aaron Gordon is frustrating James. Uh, Next thing you know, he's making free throws too. Next thing you know, a 15-point deficit becomes a win. I agree with Brad Buffington on the YouTube chat. LeBron James played the second half like he was on vacation. He played the second half like, you know what? Hey, man, I got 30. I got 30. I don't know about you, but I got my 30. Jeez, that was disgusting. Hey, man, 
Eric Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA. Okay, man. What does that mean? Nothing, because the clown Darvin Ham, like, wow. Missoula, wow. See, now, don't say Missoula is a West Virginia guy, because he played at West Virginia when Beeline was there. After I cleaned it up, Beeline cleaned it up. He played there when West Virginia was uh, human beings. Not a disgusting freaking deal. All right, all right, let's hear. Let's hear a little post game here. Um... You know, with the end of the quarter stuff, the end of the last, or I should say, end of the game, you know, I just thought he was trying to get downhill, man. And again, I, I, I mean, not to use any excuses or make any excuses, but there's contact on just about every play in the NBA. Now, when you drive the ball and what's considered uh, a violation and what's not, what's called and what's not, it's like I'm oblivious. Like, I don't know. And so um, all you want is fairness and consistency. It's something I've always said. So just trying to get the ball in the hands of our best player. Uh, Darvin Ham said one thing right there. That is absolutely right. I'm oblivious. He ain't wrong. I'm oblivious. I'm oblivious is what he said. He ain't wrong. He is not wrong. I mean, honest to God, he is oblivious. And did you see how LeBron James, he, LeBron James, um, he complains about every call. It was like he got his shot. Jamal Murray made a great play at the end. He got his shot blocked. He just walked off the court. You know what I mean? It's unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable to me how LeBron James went from Superman to a little prissy guy playing outside. That's, you know, when we were coming up in Gary, if you were a jump shooter, then I didn't have any time for you. If you didn't go to the rim, get knocked down. True story. I never commit. I never, I thought jump shooters were the softest, I'll call it, pansies that there were. And then I go to college and I realize, wait, everybody's got to shoot jump shots. What the heck am I doing? You got to make jump shots. And now everybody's got to make jump shots. But honest to God, that was embarrassing. That was really, 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 really embarrassing. The coaching in the NBA stinks. The coaching in the NBA is god-awful. The coaching in the NBA Finals is terrible. Spolstra is one guy that has a culture, he and Pat Ryan, and just having a culture makes you beat all these clowns. Darvin Ham, you said you were oblivious, and you're not wrong. Now, it's unbelievable. Unfreaking believable. Hey, look, I just tell you the way the world works. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. But tonight, uh, Miami will roll. Joe Missoula will probably get fired. Who knows? Will somebody tell me why Joe Missoula would get fired and Darvin Ham wouldn't get fired? I mean, he's got LeBron on his team. He's got Anthony Davis on his team, and his team stinks. All right, there's always these conversations in the NBA. There's always. Uh, Austin Reeves is the white guy, right? And the white guy, uh, well, if you go by NBA players, the white boy. That's what NBA players call Austin Reeves. Well, Austin Rivers, who is the most disappointing player in the history of number one play. No, he's not. He's just a ridiculous. Uh, he had this to say about Austin Reeves and Jordan Poole. I want Jordan Poole here with the Pacers. Here's what... This guy, Austin Reeves, had to say about Jordan Poole, or a Jordan Poole, whatever. Go ahead. I'm tired of me. I love Austin Reeves. I love his talent. 
his best skill is how aggressive he is as a player. He's aggressive every time he gets the ball. He's in attack mode all the time. That's his turnover, miss shot, no matter. He's not the quickest, can't jump the highest, not the greatest shooter, not the most skilled. He can do a little bit of everything here and there. He's aggressive, he attacks, I love it. And he competes. Um, his skill level is not the same as Jordan Poole's. It's not even in the same realm. I mean, it's not. I don't know if you see the shit that Jordan Poole does. No, Jordan Poole's crazy. And the range he has, the shot, the shot making ability. If you're talking skill level for skill level, they're not even in the same. And I, again, I say this as an Austin Reeves fan. I like his game. He's nowhere near Jordan Poole. Does not get it twisted. Yeah, uh, we put that in. I don't know why. I don't care what Austin Rivers has to say about anything. But it is interesting because I am a fan of Jordan Poole, uh, and he needs to get out of Golden State. I want him here with the Indiana Pacers. All right, cue it. I can hear it now. Oh, man, that's racist. Ready? Get ready for it. Get ready. Ready? I can hear it. Racism. White guys. Steve Nash, who had a winning record as a coach with the train wreck that was the Brooklyn Nets, is talking to the Toronto Raptors as a head coach. Cue it. Get it ready. Get out all your racist epithets. Get it. We know anytime a white dude's going to get a job, it's racist. 70% of the league is African-American. You can't have a white coach. Okay. All right. Well, guess what? Uh, he's talking to him. Oh, my God. You know what you need? You need more Darvin Hams in the league. That's what you need. If we can get more Darvin Hams in the league, then Spolstra may never lose a game. If we can get more Joe Mazzulas in the league, then Spolstra may never lose a game. I don't know how Rick Carlisle ever loses a game other than the fact that all of his players are hurt. If his players weren't hurt, Carlisle might go undefeated. He and Spolstra might go undefeated. But I'm just telling you, it's amazing. Everything's going to be racist. You know it is. Get ready for it. Get ready. Oh, my God, Steve Nash, that's racist. The white guy getting a job with the Toronto Raptors. Where's Steven Jackson? Put down the pipe and let's hear from you, Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, about how it's racist. <laughs> You know it's coming. We all know it's coming. I don't know whether Steve Nash can, can coach wild turkeys and take a dump. I have no idea. Who knows? But I do know this. He had a winning record coaching a train wreck. Hey, let's bring Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden together and say we don't need a coach and let the three stooges coach the team. How's that going to go? Racist. I swear it's racist. Can't have a white guy getting a job. That's crazy talk. Crazy talk, I say. It's crazy talk. <laughs> oh, man. The world is unbelievable. Oh, what else we got? Oh, speaking of racists, oh, boy, you know this is coming. Pat Narduzzi, who is the coach of Pittsburgh. Now, for Pittsburgh being a team that literally nobody cares about, nobody should care about in football, other than the Steelers. Yes, we care about, uh, well, let's see. The Steelers we care about. The Pirates we don't care about. The Penguins they did when Lemieux was there. Pittsburgh basketball nobody cares about. Uh, let's see. Um, 
Yeah, that's about it. But Pittsburgh football, not even people in Pittsburgh care about it. But Pat Narduzzi, let's see the tweet from old Pat Narduzzi. He's mad, Pat Narduzzi. Well, we'll see how it works out. But that, to me, looks bad for college football across the country. Why is Pat Narduzzi, why is he worried about Deion Sanders? Why is he worried about, Deion Sanders comes into an awful program. And he makes it very clear that go to the portal. He's going to get from the portal. Why does any college football coach, I'm curious about this. Um, why does any college football coach, why does any of them, any, and I mean any of them, care about what anybody else is doing with their team when they're not in their division? Look, if they're cheating to get players and it's costing you guys, sure. Like, if you got a guy locked up and some coach comes in and says, this is what we're going to do, we're going to bag you up, we're going to do this, um, you know, okay. Right? I mean, that, you know, I, I, it, okay, I get it. Right? I mean, okay, but why does he care? Why is it bad? Look, this is the world that we're living in. This is the world where it's like, all right, well, guess what? Uh well, you know, we want to pay players. We want to get in the portal. But it's bad for football? What the hell is a Pat Narduzzi? I mean, his mouth is open. As my father used to tell me, close your mouth. Give your chin a rest. Pat Narduzzi, give your damn chin a rest. I mean, give it a rest. Seriously. We don't need to hear from Pat Narduzzi. Why is he worried about Deion Sanders? Let Deion Sanders worry about Deion Sanders. And don't tell me you are one of those guys that doesn't, you know, it's good for the game, it's bad for the game, whatever. Doesn't look bad at all. It's modern football business. And the bottom line is Pat Narduzzi is an idiot. And every time I hear or see Pat Narduzzi, it's true, I don't know who he is, I don't know anything about him, I just know that every time he talks, it seems stupid. No, seriously, it, it seems stupid. And I don't know what to make of it. I don't, other than it just seems really, really stupid. Yeah. Now, it does. It just seems stupid. All right, a couple of things. Speaking of stupid, have you paid attention at all? Hey, by the way, just ironically, uh, you know, ironically, uh, somehow, a U-Haul crashed into the gates of the White House uh, and a Nazi flag was found inside. And the FBI made sure that everybody had a photo op Nazi flag in U-Haul. They put the Nazi flag right across the front. Ironic timing. Ironic, 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 ironic timing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This will be shown more than the guy driving through the crowd in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Mark my words. Mark my words. All right, I got a couple other things for you. Hey, can we show the idiot in New York? Look, there are 40 sanctuary cities in the United States. 40. So now Eric Adams, who is our favorite guy, because he's so ridiculous, he's the mayor of New York. So Eric Adams has a problem on his hands for a variety of reasons. The problem, ladies and gentlemen, is shoplifting. Actually, it's not even shoplifting. It's brazen theft. 
There's a scene. It's a great scene. I don't know if you've seen it before. There's a scene in the movie, uh, uh, God dang it, Bronx Tale, where bikers come into a bar and the mob guys, they're tearing up the bar. The mob guys lock the door and they say, nah, you can't leave. And they proceed to beat the crap out of the guys that are busting up their neighborhood bar. You know the scene I'm talking about. Now you just can't leave. That's what needs to happen with these people. You see them all the time. These big, big, big sisters, big African-American ladies that go into stores and just steal stuff. At least that's what I see on YouTube. Maybe white people do it too. I, I have no idea, but that's what I see. You lock the door and you say, now you just can't leave. Instead, let's show what the mayor is doing in New York. Oh, this he unveiled his new plan to combat skyrocketing retail theft. Give first-time offenders intervention. Programs instead of persecution. Here's why you shouldn't. Here's why you shan't. De-escalation training for retail employees. You know, uh, I'll tell you de-escalation training for employees. Uh, a baseball bat. A baseball bat and you say, now you can't leave. That's right. Now you can't leave. Yeah. Establish neighborhood retail watch groups to share theft information in real time with one another and New York police. All right. So you're sharing the information. Well, what are you doing with it? You're putting them in a de-escalation. Now you can't leave. Doors get locked, bats come out, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, Dockage is saying violent. Yes, I am. If you're going to come into stores and you are have no consequences and you are going to steal, I think stores have the right to lock the door, hire a group, beat the hell out of you, or handcuff you themselves. I do. I do. Install kiosks in stores to connect would-be thieves with social service programs. Here, like, I know you're taking all of our Geritol. I know the hair care pro- I know you're taking all of our stakes, but we would really like to sign you up for a, uh, well, a social media program so that you can, oh, I don't know, we can help you. This is the dumbest stuff ever. Now yous can't leave. Now use can't leave is the only way to solve crime in New York City. People walking in, here's what I do. Uh, I need 40, 30 or 40 uh, guys. Here's our high crime time. Uh, I need you, and maybe 20 of you. We got a retail theft problem. People coming in and just loading up carts. Here's my plan. We're going to lock the doors. We're going to lock the doors. You guys come out. You got two things. You got handcuffs and you got baseball bats. And it's up to the thieves which one you use. Like, here's the deal. Uh, Hey, look, Sally Mae, I'll cuff you. We'll keep you here. Let the cops come. Or I'm going to beat the hell out of you over the head with a baseball bat. Which one would you rather have? Now you can't leave. You know. You know that's the only way to handle this. That is the perfect way. That's the way to solve crime. 
That's the way to get crime under control in retail stores in New York. It worked back then. It'll work now. Well, they'll abuse it. It's violence tough. That money isn't theirs. It goes back to the consumer. All this stealing goes back to the consumer. Billions of dollars are being stolen because there's no consequence. Um, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you a social program that you can sign up for right here at the kiosk while you're stealing all the lipstick and the detergent and all the food. I would like for you to sign up. Give me your address. Last four digits of your social security number. What an idiotic program. That's the, uh, the way to solve crime in New York. Now you can't leave. That's it. That, uh, you can argue with me all you'd like. Uh, but you know what? Now you... Somebody find it for me, will you? Can somebody find me that scene? It's the greatest scene ever. Ever. In a movie, Bronx Tale, bikers come in. They're trying to destroy the neighborhood bar. And it is on, as they say, like Donkey Kong. Now you can't leave. And if you don't think, uh, well, you know, Doc, it's, it's so typical of you. You, you would be that. You, you want that kind of, uh, no, I, yeah, I do. It's time. Not seriously, it's time. Hey, Dan, uh, Keith M. says, are they going to give the perpetrators a free cell phone, too? I would assume. <laughs> hey, Dan, as soon as you lock the doors, that's where they sue you for kidnapping. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> oh, man, the Bronx tale is the greatest, absolute greatest. A weapon is a great de-escalator. Establish a neighborhood retail watch group. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I got the Yankees on TV. Someone's knocking on my door. Um, we just want you to know that uh, Big Sal and uh, Fat Edna are robbing again. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, man, it is unbelievable. And it's coming to our cities. See, that's why I like what Best Buy was doing with those tackle squads. Those tackle squads were awesome. You know they were. You know you loved them. Hey, look at this, Bud Light. Bud Light is going to buy back unsold beer following the Dylan Mulvaney crisis. That's right. Bud Light is saying we'll buy it back. I was at the University of Arkansas this weekend at softball. They had Bud Light was their sponsor, apparently. They had a cooler full of all this. Look at this. Riley Gaines, all guts, no nuts. That's right. That's right. Well, that's anti-trans. No, it's not. Shut up. That's, uh, well, that's anti-trans. You're being anti-trans. Shut up. PBR, baby. Let's get some PBR in our life. Who doesn't need PBR? That's better than Budweiser anyway. But Budweiser has decided they're going to buy it all back. Look, if you don't love women, then screw you. My wife the other day said this. It was awesome. So she and I drive nine hours on Thursday. She gets up. She runs Friday. She gets meals together for a tailgate 
for a Friday night game, go to the tailgate. She makes signs, passionate, loving to all the girls. All right, blah, 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 blah. Saturday gets up, runs another six miles, makes more meals for uh, a tailgate. We tailgate. We go to a late party with the whole team because we lost. We get up at 6 a.m. We drive nine hours back. She gets out of the car, unpacked. She's got to leave Monday to drive to graduation. So what does she do? She unpacks. She goes and runs more six or eight miles, gets back, and makes dinner for Jared and me. That's right. That's right. That's what real women do. You think Dylan Mulvaney's doing that? Are you out of your mind? And she looks at me. I go, man, you are awesome. I'll make dinner. She goes, no, no. No, no. I got this ham in here that I've been dying to make. Uh, we got to make all this stuff. You can't do it. Uh, I'm doing it. Okay. All right. And then she looks at me. I go, you are awesome. I go, you are absolutely awesome. You know what she said? It's what real women do. Not these fake women. These fake women can't do that. These fake women can't even begin to do that. You think Dylan Mulvaney can do that? Dylan Mulvaney's too worried about uh, whether her penis is going to show through whatever dress she's wearing. He's wearing. Are you crazy? That's right. That's what real women do, ladies and gentlemen. Real women do that kind of thing. Like, I love seeing Jennifer on Twitter and all her stuff. Some guy was a jackass to her. She's just right back at him. She's running. She's doing all these things. Real women are badasses. Real women are tough. Real women are caring. Not these Dylan Mulvaney, I put on a dress, tuck in my pee-pee, and act like a woman or all these other clowns. Get out of here. Riley Gaines, all guts, no nuts. Yes. We'll be right back. Armando's going to join us. I can't wait. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, save $30 on the American-made Steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Our friend Armando Segura joins us. The May meetings are going on. Uh, by the way, Jimmy Ursay, I didn't ask you this. I don't know if you saw this, but here in Indy, it was a big deal. Jimmy Ursay putting John Elway in his top five all time, who refused to play for the Colts and leaving off Peyton Manning. Now, Jimmy walked it back. Did you see any of that? That's a big deal here. People are pissed. Yeah, so Jim Ursay is a great guy. Uh, a good human being, a, a philanthropist, but he's not always on point. Let's can we agree on that? He's not always, yes. uh, you know, he's not always present. Let's let's put it that way. And going with John Elway over Peyton Manning, even if he wasn't in Indianapolis, yikes! 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Super duper yikes. And I'm not saying that John Elway wasn't one of the all-time greats, but he wasn't even the best quarterback of his day, much less of, you know, uh, history. Your next question is who was the know, best quarterback I, of his day, by the way? I was just I was just going to ask you. I'll say Joe Montana. Oh. Great pick. Great choice. And, you know, when you go, what is it, four for four in Super Bowls, I would say, yeah, man, absolutely. Obviously, me being a South Florida guy and having watched, you know, the um, the magician and having seen him throw in practices and stuff like that, Dan Marino was better than John Elway. I, if you had a draft of the 1983 draft class again, which was arguably the best draft class of all time, I think that Marino gets picked ahead of Elway. That's just me. You know, you know, one of the things with Elway, I, I had a very close friend who has been in the NFL for years and years and years. He's the one guy I trust. He goes, look, Dan, you got to understand, inside the Colts, they know this was – this was Jim Ursay sticking it in a way to Peyton Manning, which is so on Jim Ursay like. I'm, uh, you know, I don't care whether he walks it back. The initial tweet is what it is. Um, I got to ask you about a couple of things, okay? Gambling is legal. Gambling is okay. It's easy. I get on my phone. I can make a bet. Everybody, you know, that I know does it or in some fa- form or fashion. The NFL is tied in. The NBA is tied in. Vegas is now a place. It's all different. So now we got four or five guys busted by the NFL. Do you see this expanding? Do you see more guys being busted? Do you see this as a widespread problem? Okay, so first of all, uh, ESPN, as you know, recently reported that a a quote-unquote second wave of uh, possible gambling problems policy violations is coming down the pike. And, okay, the first wave was, I think, six guys. And that's not great. If the second wave is another six guys, what you have is a total of 12 guys in the offseason when your NFL roster makeup numbers is almost 2,000 guys. So... I'm not sure that that is a widespread problem. As we talked off air now, if this second wave includes a perp walk of like 25 guys and suspensions of 25, 30 guys, now we have an issue. But the NFL already has an issue with gambling because on the one hand, it has three sportsbook partners and Caesars, DraftKings and FanDuel, so it is embracing that those partnerships with gambling. It relies on gambling because a great deal of its quote-unquote fan base aren't really fans. They're interested observers, and they're interested only because they are gambling. So there is that, and that's I would say that's a, a hefty percentage of the reason why NFL games get the kind of uh, action that they do, pardon the pun, uh, you know, on television and in, in, in ratings. It's because not necessarily 
Commanders fans and Cowboys fans and Dolphins fans and Patriots fans are watching because of their beloved teams. It's because of the degenerates who are watching because of their beloved dollar <laughs> that is on the line in the game that they otherwise would have no interest in. So it's kind of a, a tightrope for the NFL to say our players, our staff, our coaches, we're very rigid with them. And then on the other hand, they're embracing gambling for their sheer survival and for partnership profits. What should be, should the penalty, like we saw what happened was it Calvin Ridley gets a year for a parlay, he's not playing. Is the penalty based on the movement you just talked about towards gambling, is the penalty too much for the crime right now? Or is it the perfect deterrent because you can't have it in your sport? Well, so first of all, the rules are the rules, right? Calvin Ridley knew the rules or should have known the rules. And so even though it seemed like a minor offense in that I think he said he gambled like $1,500 or something and not on his team, while that seems not like a huge offense, it's against the rules. It's not a huge offense to jaywalk, but it's against the law and you can get ticketed for it. And so ignorance is not a defense, right? Um, what we think that the, the, you know, the suspensions are and what the prohibitions are, it doesn't matter. It, look, this is collectively bargained. This is in the rules. Don't do it, period. It's as simple as that, okay? I don't care uh, if it's a year-long suspension or a six you know, a six-game suspension like some of the Lions players got. The rules are written for your consumption players of the NFL. Abide by them, and you're free and clear, period, point blank. Well, you know that's easier said than done. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that is always – I get it. And I, you know what? I, I, I should, should athletes be punished for betting on sports other than their own? That's a good question. The philosophy of that question is, look, we shouldn't be betting, right? None of us should. The reality of that question is a lot of people bet. That's why a city such as Las Vegas exists. That's why Caesar's Palace exists. That's why FanDuel and, and DraftKings and all those other places are a license to print money. Um, the ethics of a player betting on his own league is a little dicey. In fact, more than a little dicey. It's icky. It's downright icky, Dan. Now, the ethics of embedding on basketball or uh, baseball or whatever else he wants to bet on, you know, that I, I liken it to drugs. There are gateway drugs and there are hard, you know, you're losing your life kind of drugs. And betting on other leagues is the gateway equivalent to the hard and fast betting on your own league. It's going to get you suspended and you're going to be in deep trouble type of uh, move. 
I agree. Uh, Tom Brady owning. I've said for years, Armando here in Indy, like people are what we're saying when Peyton Manning retired, he should come back as the offensive coordinator or the GM. And I'm like, no. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Dan Marino, John Elway, they own. They don't work uh, 5 in the morning until 10 at night. No. They own. Brady as an owner, uh, what do you think? I like it. Uh, the NFL with the with the name of Tom Brady involved in it, and it, you know, a part of it is a stronger, better league. I like it. Um, now, obviously, not as a general manager, I don't think. Not as a n- not as a right. Uh, you know, not as a coach. Look, these guys they they've been around assistant coaches and head coaches and coordinators. And they see that it's often not worth the price. What you have is other players who didn't make, you know, $500 million during their career that believe that obviously if the opportunity comes to be an assistant coach and work from, you know, four in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, then they're going to take it because guess what? It's a six figure plus job and it's work. And it beats, you know, sitting in an office or going to a construction site (laughs) every day of the week. Right. So and you're still around the sport you love and you still get the highs and the lows that you get as a player when you win and lose. You still get that as a coach. Right. Right. I mean, look, um, you think Peyton Manning. And others. Michael Jordan has. There been a, Magic Johnson's been involved in ownership. Now we got Tom Brady. Do you think, do you think that Peyton Manning or somebody else, LeBron James, will be involved in ownership sooner than later? So speaking to Peyton Manning, the guy is a little obsessive. Just a little bit. He's he was a little bit. As a player, he was somewhat anal, okay? And if he brings that to ownership of a team, which I'm not sure that he's going to, but if he gets involved with a team on that level, I wouldn't want to be his personal assistant. I wouldn't want to be his his secretary because that person will have no freaking life because Peyton Manning will be on the phone at three in the morning and at three in the afternoon and at nine in the evening and at three in the morning again, demanding that things get done because that's how he was as a player with his offensive coordinators and his quarterback coaches and his receivers. So there's that. Now, again, when you've got names that have established themselves as great names in the sport, it helps the sport when those great names continue to be associated with the sport. Um, I don't begrudge them of that. If they've got the money to be part of it, more power to them. Some of them don't have the money to actually be part of it and still get part of it because their name carries weight and is worth uh, some of the, you know, that money that they maybe are lacking. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, when you look across the board, the money these guys make, and they got to do something with it. I mean, what the hell? And 
Everybody wants to be an owner of a sports franchise. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Peyton Manning won the uh, Emmy for analysts yesterday. Whatever. Uh, I got to ask you about the third quarterback <laughs> deal in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, Peyton Manning. Doesn't, you are too impressed by his like, big old Emmy? What's that? You weren't too impressed by his big old Emmy? Him walking around with a big Emmy around? You know, you didn't I, like that? I, I saw that he and Ryan Clark won Emmys, and I'm like, all right, okay. Peyton Manning could say the, and everybody would laugh and go, oh, he's so great, God dang. I, I don't want, I, I think the Manning cast is boring as hell. Uh, so that's just me, and my opinion. Doesn't mean I'm right. Everybody else has their own opinion. I just don't watch. I think it's dull. I don't get the crowd noise, uh, and I think they're they're boring. I, I think Manning and Manning are... But that's just me. I don't have a vote. Uh, I, I know that Peyton Manning could show up and everybody would laugh and everybody would say, what a great guy. And he could, he could, you know, I don't know. I've, I've, I've had well, Mannings. Let's put it that way. I've had enough. I, I, I'll, t- I'll say this about the Manning cast. When they talk football for nerds, for football nerds such as myself, it's, it's interesting and insightful. Uh, when yeah. they, when, when they do brother on brother rippage of each other, I like that because I, I, you know, I enjoy the familiarity and it makes you feel like you're part of it. Now, when they get to start talking to their, their guests and their, the people that they bring in for no apparent reason, and there's four of them, they lose me because I didn't tune in for a guest call-in show. I tuned in for football insight from great football minds. Now, and, and also for the comedy of Eli and, and Peyton going at each other and ripping each other with, you know, inside jokes. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get bored. I get bored very easily. I'm a big crowd guy. I like the crowd. I don't know. I, I yeah, whatever. I, everybody's got their own opinion. Good for them. But, you know, I I think there's a lot better analysts. That's just me. All right. This seems smart to me. This seems like a no-brainer. The NFL is allowing teams to carry an emergency third quarterback to avoid having to make you or me come out of the stands and play quarterback, which nobody wants to see. That that seems smart to me. Easy. Actually, Dan, I would love to see you coming out of the stands to play quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts one afternoon. You know, maybe in November or December, just just for the heck of it, I need the comedy. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. And yeah. if they yeah. could somehow put me on the other team, we would really crash the the system. It would be a total <laughs> catastrophe, and everybody would tune in. Having said that, right, the third the third quarterback is the reinstitution of a rule that used to exist years ago. The NFL had this rule already, but it, in its reactive state, it saw that the San Francisco 49ers in a playoff game against the Philadelphia Eagles lost their starting quarterback to an elbow injury. Then a couple of plays later lost their second street quarterback to a concussion. And then a couple of plays later was like, everybody was going, oh, crap. We don't have anybody that can play quarterback. Let's put the injured guy back in and play 10 against 11. And they don't want that. So what you have is a return to the old 
you know, the old rule where if you have three quarterbacks on your 53-man roster, you can actually suit up that third quarterback if he is, even if he's inactive for the game. And if you have injuries after a lightning strike or two to your first two quarterbacks, you can put the third guy in there and he'll be better. He'll at least be able to take some snaps from, from scrimmage. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm uh, I'm with you on that. I, I think that, hey, look, nobody wants to see you on one side, me on the other, or, I mean, I didn't want to see Sam Ellinger at all, but we did, and I don't want to anymore, so we won't have to see him. But I'm with you. I think it's, uh, I don't know, I, I think it's smart. I think it's good business. You keep the product going. What the hell? Um, is there anything that is going to come out of these main meetings that's going to be interesting to the average fan, Armando? Well, I mean, yesterday they they awarded, arguably, they being the NFL, awarded their biggest prize of the offseason to Green Bay. The draft will be in Green Bay in 2025. And that sounds great. That it it really does. It sounds great, right? The problem with that, Dan is that Green Bay is an exceedingly small town. And, yeah. right? And the draft is an exceedingly large event where hundreds of thousands of people pour into an area to drink beer and watch names get called out and then drink more beer. And, and they all show up. And I would say to you, I have no clue how Green Bay is going to possibly have enough hotel space for this stuff. Because I was in the last few drafts, Kansas City arguably didn't have enough hotel space to field the draft, to, to host the draft. I have no clue how Green Bay is going to do it unless they build 25 hotels between now and 2025, April of 2025. I agree. I agree. Armando, I thank you, my friend. Uh, go ahead. You can take off your shirt, put on your thong, and hit the beach behind you. I got You got it. You got it. I can see you now running like a crazy man. Go hit the beach. You, I see it. It's right there, right out your back door. Let's go. You found me out. My thong is yeah. ready, and uh, hopefully yeah. the paparazzi don't catch up to me. I hope they do. I need you on the cover of People Magazine, my friend. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Thank you, my friend. Yeah. All right, brother. Do yeah. Well. There he is. As my friend Mark Packer used to say, off he goes. The real Jim Beheim coming up here in about 10 minutes. We're going to talk about a number of things. One of those things is going to be not only his retirement and what he's doing, but also Carmelo Anthony. Nice exchange on Twitter yesterday between Jim Beheim and Carmelo Anthony, and nobody, and I mean nobody, watches the NBA or any sport uh, basketball like, like Jim Beheim. No, I'm serious. Uh, it is amazing to me how he watches, he knows, he can't get involved. It's unbelievable. Hey, the dumbest university in America is back at it. I don't know if you know this. But America's dumbest university, of course, is Michigan State. Michigan State, the place you go when you cannot get in 
to Michigan. Two Michigan State undergraduates are suing one of their former professors and two administrators alleging that they and hundreds of other students were unlawfully required to buy a $99 subscription to a website that supported the professor's liberal activism. Why am I not surprised by the stupidity of Michigan State? Why am I not? I I don't know. This professor, of course it's a woman professor because they are completely out of their mind, liberal, insane. Amy Weisner uh, is the professor. Weisner required 600 students in their class to sign up for the rebellion community which her syllabus described as a global social learning community, even though its uses in the context of the class largely mimicked services already available at no additional cost on the university's D2L software. Though Weisner told students she would reap no benefits from the subscriptions, the lawsuit said students found out that Weisner operated the site and had said in different contexts that its proceeds would be donated to Planned Parenthood or used to fund an RV road trip across the United States to create communities of rebels. She was removed from the class after they complained. $60,000 this idiot got. Why is it no surprise that Michigan State remains our dumbest institution? I'm discussing now the stupidity of Michigan State. Why is it no surprise? No surprise, MSU is our dumbest. It is, uh, it, it, it is, well, it's where you go when you don't, can when you can't get into Michigan. Oh, honest to God. What else we got? Hey, I don't blame Ben Roethlisberger here. When I sat on the bench at Indiana, I'm not going to lie, I'll raise my hand. I rooted for the guys that were playing ahead of me, and I knew who they were to screw up. I did. Like, I couldn't wait for Marty Simmons to travel a second time in the game where we beat North Carolina because I knew Knight was going to take him out. Uh, I knew. I, I, I knew. So I'm sorry. But you know what? I do. Now, I never rooted against Indiana, even though they did not keep me as the head coach. I like Tom Crean. You know, I went into the media, and I was very, very happy. I was very content. I loved it. It was my thing. So I didn't really get involved in disliking either Bowling Green. In fact, I I root for both. But Roethlisberger, here's what Roethlisberger had to say initially about Kenny Pickett being the new starting quarterback of his Pittsburgh Steelers. Early on, I didn't want him to succeed because I didn't want him, you know, they followed me up. I didn't want it to happen. I think that's probably the selfishness of me, and I feel bad for it. But as it went on, as the season went on, he got to like his third game playing. I was rooting for him. Yeah, I was. I was excited for you, and Appreciate I was. That. I wanted you to succeed. I wanted you to win the games. I wanted you to get to the playoffs. Um, and so uh, I feel bad that I felt that early on. But I was. I, I'm glad that I transitioned into love and rooting for you. Appreciate that. Um, I, I have your jersey I wear every Sunday. <laughs> You know, see, Roethlisberger, though, is being silly here. Like, I'm a legend at Andrean High School. My jersey is up. I was the first guy, myself and Jimmy Bullock and Ray Goff, to sign Division I scholarship, blah, 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 blah. I always wanted, because I was so secure in my place at Andrean, I always wanted Andrean to succeed. Indiana, look, I wore number 11. Isaiah wore number 11. I want number 11 
to succeed. Uh, and I never really felt like after I left Rothels that I wanted them not to succeed. Roethlisberger is being, you know, his place as a Hall of Fame quarterback um, is secured. Like Kenny Pickett can play well, but he's not going to surpass Roethlisberger or Bradshaw, you know, those are the two guys, really. So I like the fact that Roethlisberger admitted it, but it is kind of silly. It, it, it is. All right, I got a lot more to get to, uh, including uh, Mensa member Frank Reich. We'll get into that. But when we come back, I got Jim Beheim next. I want you to listen. Let's let's hear from the Hall of Fame coach about Carmelo Anthony, the NBA playoffs, his retirement Look, retirement for guys that coached as long as Bayheim did can be tough. I just hearken back to Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant died, and he always said, look, when I'm done coaching, I'm going to die probably. You know what? I don't know. That seems sad to me. Of course, Joe Paterno had mitigating circumstances, but after he retired, guess what? Joe Paterno suddenly, they said, got lung cancer, even though he never smoked, and died very quickly. Um, man. Uh, we'll see what it, Jim Beheim has been up to. People are probably like, well, you think Beheim's going to die? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that retirement for guys is tough, particularly that are used to doing the things that Jim Beheim has been used to doing. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, look, I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's my favorite college basketball coach. He was coaching for so long. He'll always be coach to me, Coach Jim Beheim, A relaxed Coach Jim Beheim, <laughs> hanging out at home. You better get out of the house. I told you off air, I got divorced when I got done coaching and I was home all the time. My first wife's like, hey, I can't take this crap. You got to go. Well, <laughs> you know? I know you. I know your wife now, and that's the only way she can put up with you if she doesn't have to see you too much, just a little bit. You know, that's know. about it. My wife's the same. I'm going to get something. I'll have to join the media. You know, they think I have opinions. I, I don't know if I'm that opinionated, but, yeah, <laughs> I'll be in the media Coach, markets someplace. <laughs> where are you going? Let, 
Let's break some news here. Where, where are you going to be? What media? Are you ESPN, CBS, where are you going? I, I may be on all of them. I don't know. We're just going to do games and, uh, you know, have fun uh, talking about uh, basketball. It's sad where our game is right now, and, uh, you know, everybody knows that. Uh, it's, it's a tough place. And the unfortunate time in my 50 years in coaching, there were always crisis situations, but there was always a way out. You could always see a way out. There is no way out right now where we put ourselves with NIL and the portal. Um, you know, and again, I'm all in favor of players being able to transfer and get, get their money that they earn. Uh, I think that's a great thing. But just to be given money to play basketball, that's not what the NIL was meant to be. And it uh, makes it very hard for college coaches, I think. And so you see every year now a complete reconfiguring of ev almost every team in the country uh, with two, three, four, five players coming in and figuring out how they're going to get, you know, get their NIL money. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough time. I mean, the game's still good. The games are still good. Coaches are still good. Players are still good. It's just, uh, it's hard to really kind of come to grips with this. I think. Did, did the NIL, did the money factor into you resigning? No, not really. I mean, I think, I think it was time. I, I was at the end, you know, I, I think 47's by any stretch of the imagination, enough. Um, I wanted to stay one year this year to get our freshman group in. We had six freshmen, so it was a good team. They, they really competed, and, and uh, I think they're ready for the future. We, we retain most of our freshmen, and uh, I think Adrian Autry, who just done a magnificent job in the uh, transfer portal area, uh, getting what we needed in terms of players. Um, he's just done a great job. So I think we're situated to have a really good basketball team next year. But it was time for me. Uh, I've, I've never really felt quite this good. It's, it's just too much going on. And uh, at some point in time, you have to say, okay, you know, what my son buddy said, Dad, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, I just like coaching. That's why I kept doing it. It was fun and it still is fun, but uh, just the games part and the practice part. The rest is not that much fun anymore. Were you were you okay with the way the whole thing ended? It seemed awkward, you know, at the yeah, end. Yeah, it was. I, it, it, well, it, we hadn't talked about it. That's the problem. We had just kind of abruptly, uh, I was thinking along those lines, the university was thinking, but we hadn't really sat down and talked about it and everything kind of came to a head too soon. It would have been better if we'd had another week to get through everything. We had to figure out some things going forward, which we have figured out for the most part right now. And, uh, you know, it was a little awkward, but not. You know, we both wanted the same thing, and um, we had somebody in place to take over, which was really the key, and uh, it, it all worked out great. Yeah. You know, Coach, um, speaking of your former players, which Adrian Autry was a terrific one, Carmelo Anthony, it was nice to see your tweet to him and his 
tweet back to you. Uh, the importance of Carmelo Anthony to you personally and then certainly to Syracuse basketball. Well, there's no way we win a national championship without him. I mean, we had a good team. Everybody contributed, but he was the guy. He was the, fo the focus. Uh, Troy Weaver and I, when we saw him, we thought he was a guy that could win a national championship. We probably didn't see that it would happen in one year, in the first year, but we saw that uh, we had some good pieces, uh, and he was the difference maker. He was uh, the first freshman in this new era that took his team to the final four and won. And uh, he's just a great player. He gave back to the university. He's given back to every place he's been, Denver, Syracuse, New York, Baltimore. He's given back. He's built centers or contributed money. He helped us build our uh, practice facility, which is still today, 10 years later, as good as any. So he, he's meant a lot to us. And to me, uh, you know, you've coached 47 years. You don't have to win a national championship, but it's, it's much better if you do. <laughs> you feel much better right. about everything you do if you do win one. And, uh, you know, he helped us get that for sure. I tell people all the time, in fact, it pisses Indiana people off. I go, you know, Coach Knight's a freaking genius, wins his third because Keith Smart's falling out of bounds, hitting a shot <laughs> that, you know, and, you know, Jim Beheim can't win the big one because Keith Smart hits a shot falling out of bounds. You, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, the thing people don't remember, he hit four in a row at the end. He hit all their buckets at the end. He was on the bench and yeah. uh, Coach stuck them back in and he won the game for them. We, we had pretty good control, but you know, those games sometimes do get away from you and it's just the way it works. And it's ironic that we lost to Indiana. That's the last time I ever lost to Indiana. You know, we played a few times oh, since no. then. That was a bad one. <laughs> and you know, they beat us uh, in the, in the Superdome, the same place we won, the same place we beat Kansas, same shot in the corner that, Smart made, we blocked it. So at least we learned something over those 20 years, <laughs> 16 years in between, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll get a, I'm going to send this to Quet Dwayne and he'll be pissed when you said that Carmelo Anthony was the man on that team because he contends <laughs> that he was the man. <laughs> he was the man, he, he, you know. <laughs> well, he was our, he was our only senior and he was great. He, he, you know, we can't. I remember coming to Bloomington to get him, and uh, you know, his father and mother had gone to Syracuse. That's how we got him, and uh, he was a tremendous player for us. But his senior year, he was really the rock on that team. He played guard and forward, and he kept the young guys going. He's a very mature kid. Um, he's really done well for himself in life. And uh, a lot of respect for Queth Dwayne. But, you know, we had a great team. We had more than Mello. We had Queth. We had Jerry McNamara, Hakeem Warwick, Craig Forth, Josh Pace, Billy. We had a lot of guys that contributed to that. Our backup center, Jeremy McNeil, without him, we're down 17 to Oklahoma State in the second round, and he blocks four shots in, in our press and turns the whole game around. So without him, we never would have been in the Final Four. So it, it takes a whole team to get there, and uh, that's what that's what we had. And uh, really happy that we got that. 
You know, Coach, I want to go back to Carmelo real quick. It is the Carmelo Anthony Center there. Carmelo Anthony is an international star. You had a chance to coach him uh, in the Olympics. What made him, coming out of Baltimore, what what did you see? I know he was the number one player. I was actually at West Virginia, just got the job, and I'm looking at lists, and my assistant goes, well, that kid's going to go to Syracuse, and I'll bet you he wins a national championship. He's that good. (laughs) Uh, that's a true story. I can remember where I was. Where, 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 what did you see? Not the basketball, but the personality, the, the drive, that kind of thing. Well, he's a great kid. You could tell that right away. He's friendly. Every team he's ever been on, he's the favorite player on the team. He gets along with every player on the team, the best player down to the worst player, the manager, the, you know, the assistant coaches. He's just a, he's a great kid. And a great leader. People want to follow him because he sets a great example. But, you know, when you saw him play, he could make the three, he could make the pull-up, and he could drive by and dunk. I mean, you know, he did all those things the first time I saw him in the first few minutes that I saw him. And I just I turned to my assistant, Troy Weaver. I said, you know, you know, he told me this was a guy that could do it. You know, obviously, to win a national championship, you never can predict that. Uh, great players have not won a national championship, but uh, you could tell he had, he would give you the chance to win it. And, you know, he's still one of the best scorers that's ever played. I mean, he uh, could rebound and he was a better defensive player that people give him credit for, but he could, he could score the basketball. I mean, he's in the top nine, the 10 off time scores in the NBA. Um, that's, that's pretty good. All-time Olympic scorer, he's right there. I think him and Kevin are, Durant are probably close to each other in the most points in Olympic USA basketball history. Uh, I'll never forget the game he came out. It was a, it was an easy game, but he came out and he made 12 threes or something like that in, in like 14 minutes. I think he had 36 points against, uh, I think it was Nigeria, but uh, – you know, he could always score the ball, and he's always given back. And, you know, that's what I remember the most about Carmelo. He, he gives back. You and Calhoun had some very, 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 very famous battles. You guys <laughs> uh, went to six overtimes at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Calhoun, Louie. Thompson, all those guys, what was that like in the Big East? Can you explain it to folks at that time? It's hard to explain going into that room with those guys for league meetings and 10 hours later after yelling and screaming at each other for 10 hours, we went to play golf or we went to dinner. But it was that group. I think, you know, Dave Gavitt made the Big East. He made all of us. There were six Hall of Fame coaches in that room at any one time, and there wouldn't have been any if it wasn't for Dave Gavitt forming the Big East. And just the, the the coaches, you know, you just think, holy, you look around the room and say, holy cow, you know, this is, I hope I can last a year or two here. And I ended up outlasting them all, but it was, uh, it was just a battle every day. I mean, every game. The thing that was great about the Big East is that we had seven or eight teams that went to the Final Four or won a national championship. It wasn't just two or three or four. It was everybody, everybody, prospered, whether it was, you know, Seton Hall or Pittsburgh coming up. Obviously, Connecticut was at the bottom. Jim Calhoun came in. You know, Jim Calhoun, easily one of the top, the greatest coaches of all time. He doesn't get the credit. He was 
difficult. Media didn't really like him too much, and he hasn't gotten the credit. In Storrs, Connecticut, he, he won three national championships and uh, left the team there for Kevin Ali to win. So you have to give him a tremendous amount of credit. And we had great battles. I'm just happy we won the six-overtime game because I can talk about it. He will never talk about it ever. Ever, he doesn't even he doesn't even he doesn't even acknowledge that that game was played. But uh, you're in a game like that, you you go four hours, and it's one thirty in the morning when it ends. You you know you want to win, you want to be on top, and uh, so that was a great feeling. The, the, the greatest thing about that game was we were behind in all five overtimes. We never had the lead in the first five overtimes. And then to finally get the lead and win it was, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a special game. <laughs> People ask me all the time, like just because I was in college basketball, what's the greatest play you ever saw? And I always say, you know, a game-winning, key smart, whatever. But the best play I ever saw was against you. I'm sitting next to Coach Knight. Sherman Douglas hikes the ball through his legs, three-quarters court, hits Stevie Thompson right here. He dunks. And I'm, I, it was the only time on the bench as a player or a coach or an assistant coach that I wanted to cheer for the other team coach. It was unbelievable. Well, you know, I mean, it was crazy. We had a great team, and – you know, you were playing for Indiana, so obviously they weren't was one of their better teams. And uh, <laughs> I was coaching then, so stop it. Okay. I was on the bench <laughs> coaching. Stop. <laughs> but we had a great team, and we were up twenty or thirty at the time. And when Sherman did that, I was embarrassed. I thought, oh no, you know, I, I I figured Coach Knight would come down and just you know yell at me or something. But no. Sherman did those things. But that was a great play. Uh, it, it wasn't quite as good as the Kim Warwick block in the last shot in the Kansas game. That was right. the best play I've ever right. been a part right. of. And I wish we'd have done it against Indiana, come out and block that shot. But we didn't. Right. And, uh, you know, it's uh, – but that's the memory I have, that block shot. That's the picture I have up on the wall. You know, that's <laughs> that's the one I think about. I I, I... – Totally get it. I do. I, I totally get it. One thing people don't understand is how Coach Beheim. I tell this story all the time, and I think I've told you. You walked into Lee, my wife's office, when she was a softball coach. She did not know who you were. The only basketball <laughs> coach that she knew was the most handsome basketball coach, me, oh, uh, when she geez. was at Bowling Green. And her, her assistant true. coaches are like, oh, my God. Jim Beheim, and she's like, who's Jim Beheim? But you were so supportive of all the coaches, Gary Gate, everybody at Syracuse. I don't think people understand that. Well, I love sports. I love all our sports here, especially lacrosse. Our women are going down to play uh, in the semifinals this weekend. They're playing a great Boston College team, and great Northwestern team is there. And I think Denver's the other team. So, yeah, I love lacrosse. You know, losing Jim Brown this week, he's the greatest lacrosse player uh, probably ever. You know, obviously he's the greatest running back ever, but he's also probably the greatest uh, lacrosse player. He's a great track guy, and people don't know. He started on the basketball team here and averaged 14 or 15 a game when he was just a sophomore. Jim Brown was another world athlete. You know, it's, uh, there's no one that compares to him. And I'm just glad that, uh, you know, he, he was here at Syracuse and I got to meet him. And he's one of the 
few legends. You know, everybody's a legend, and really there aren't that many. But Jim Brown, he he was a legend for sure. You know, he means a ton. Floyd Little passed away, Jim Brown. I mean, I, I, I did not know all this until obviously started day. I didn't realize the impact those guys had on Syracuse. Well, it was those two and Ernie Davis who won the Heisman, first African-American Ernie to win Davis, the yeah. uh, You know, Jim should, Brown should have won it, but they weren't voting that way back then. And uh, Ernie won it. And, of course, the tragic getting leukemia right after his senior year and never making it to the NFL. And all the football coaches here, Coach Brown and Davis, and they all told me that they thought Ernie would be better than Jim Brown. And uh, Ernie was 6'3 or 4 and 225, just like Jim. Actually a little taller, um, but a little faster, you know, a little bit faster. And uh, they just said he was probably going to be better. So that was a, one of the tragic things I think that I know in sports, losing Ernie Davis. Coach, NBA playoffs, a lot of heat on Missoula, the coach of the Celtics. I've said, hey, at some point, players got to show up when you're making $30 million <laughs> last night. LeBron yeah. out. Give me your thoughts. Well, they're not getting edged out by a key good play designed at the end of the game. Yeah, they're getting their, their tails kicked, and that's on players. I mean, come on. <laughs> this is about the players. I mean, and same thing with the Lakers. I mean, Denver's just better. You know, and let's face it, you look at the Heat, uh, forget about whether they're drafted or undrafted. They've got one of the top players in the game. Jimmy Butler is one of the top players in the game. You have to acknowledge that. Bam inside is one of the more mobile big guys in today's game. Now, you put around them these guys that all can shoot. Just These guys, whether they're drafted or undrafted, I don't really care. Vincent. You know, Struess, Robinson, Martin, they all shoot the basketball. And what's what's it about them? What's it about in basketball? It's, it's scoring, isn't it? How many points you can score? And in the NBA, they talk about defense, but they average 100 points a game. So usually the teams that win, and these are two good examples, Denver and Miami, they can score points. And – but you can't blame this on the coach. Come on, that's that's just crazy. That's that's crazy. A couple, maybe in a the coaches get too much credit or not, and you know, and and Spolster is a great coach. There's no doubt about that. And Steve Kerr is a great coach. They prove themselves. But this is I don't think this is at all about coaching. I think Darvin Ham's done a good, really good job with the Lakers this year. It's just Denver's just better and. And some of these guys call out the, the coaches and even the players. I mean, sometimes the team's better than you. Let's look at it. That's the way I look at it. I just think that these are the two best teams. And I think it's going to be a great series of finals. I, I just – these two teams are really good, really good. Co and, coaching you know, in the Mike Olympics. Was, Mike Malone was born right here in Syracuse. Mike Malone was born right here in Syracuse. His father was my assistant at the time, Brendan. <laughs> a little trivia for you. I'm telling you, Jim <laughs> Beheim is the crossroads of basketball. Like in Indiana, we're the crossroads. You are the crossroads. You, there's nobody that you 
you gave Benetti and I about an hour and a half. We were standing on the court a couple years ago, and it went from Julius Irving to Tate Lock <laughs> to Norm Ellenberger to you know you know Carmelo Anthony. Hey, hey I want to ask people, you one thing. Go ahead. All those people you just mentioned, most people don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> That's all right. Norm. That's all right. Screw them. You and I know. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, yes, sir. Uh, last thing before I let you go. Um, the, you mentioned the college game. I want to get in the NBA game. You know, a lot of people, ah, too many threes, that kind of thing. Which game, because you watch everything, which game do you think is played better, college or pro? Not not the players. Obviously, the pros are better. The way the game is played. You know, I, I like. I just like to watch basketball. The college game has been hurt by so many guys leaving, the the guys not coming to college now, players not being able to develop. You don't have five or six NBA players on the court when Syracuse plays Georgetown like we used to. I mean, you're lucky if you have one. Uh, so the game's not at the same level, but it's still a good game. It's still kids playing hard. The fans still like the game. The fans still support their team. But the level of play is nowhere what it was. Whereas the NBA, I think, has developed their game. And I think their game is at a very high level. These guys, they, the problem, they make it look too easy. <laughs> you know, the shots they make, the plays they make, um, and the superstars in the NBA right now, uh, with another one coming in for next year, and Victor Wambayaya, um, that's not right, but it's close. Uh, close. They, they have so many great players and really, really good teams up there that uh, I think the NBA is good. People criticize it all the time, but uh, I think it's at a high level. I think you watch the NBA playoffs. These guys are Jokic and Murray and Butler, the rest of the Miami Heat and Bam. They're playing at a high, high level. And I think it's fun to watch. I still steal over and watch the hockey, too, because nobody wants to win the championship more than hockey players. They want that cup. They want to take it home. And there's nobody that plays harder. That They'll give up their not only their teeth, but I think some of them will give up a finger or two to win a Stanley Cup. And you have to admire that. You really do have to admire that. <laughs> Hey, it, I I could not agree more. I, I think that – and they play 82 games just like the NBA and they lose yeah. teeth and they get sliced up. Hey, I did <laughs> want to ask you something uh, before we left. We saw what happened at Alabama. You know, a kid, a great player, I guess. Brandon Miller is involved in a murder. Nate Oates, whatever he does. How difficult is it? What, what are your thoughts on those type situations? What's a coach's involvement here? Or is it more towards the AD and the president? It's a tough situation. As a coach, you want to, you always try to support your players. You know, the university has to make their decisions based on the university. As a coach, I think you have to err on the side of supporting your players. And uh, sometimes that can put you in a bad situation. But again, and I'm not going to comment on any one particular situation, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the university and what the university feels is right for their school. 
And that can be different than what a coach is going to think or a player is going to think. But as a coach, I've always felt you have to support your players and your team. And uh, sometimes that might seem like a mistake, but I think it, it, that's really where I come down on, on that side. These, you have to remember, these guys are 18 years old, 19. They're going to make mistakes. And, uh, you, you know, you try to help them through it. Uh, some players that I've had that have made tremendous mistakes here have turned out to be great people, great citizens, and given back to their community. So I think you have to stick and in, 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 in support your players as much as you possibly can. Coach, has that changed? You used to be a coach was, you know, the end-all, be-all, you know, academically, uh, socially, well, punishment, you, things like that. Yeah, I mean, you're still held accountable, but I, I, I still think that you have to, you know, the university still has the final say in everything. But uh, as a coach, you have to, you're in charge for 99% of it. And, and you're, you're, you're held responsible if, if a kid messes up or does something he shouldn't. That's, that falls back on the coach because you recruited him. Whether that's fair or not, uh, you know, I don't know. But it, that's the way it is. If a kid has a problem or doesn't do his academic work, it, it, it comes back to head coach responsibility in those situations. And, you know, you have to – that's just that's just the way it is. It's the way it's set up. But I just hope that players can get through this. Sometimes being transferred and going here, going there is not the best thing for a young player. I remember Hakeem Warwick didn't play much his freshman year, and he would have left in today's world. No doubt about it. We even talked about it. But he hung in there became a starter the next year and blocked the shot in the national championship game that got us the title. He went on to make all American. Would he have been as successful if he had gone someplace else? Maybe, maybe not. You know, you don't know the answer to that. So with 1800 guys transferring this year, it's hard to believe that 1800 guys are in a bad situation. So, and and at the end of the day, when six or seven hundred of those eighteen hundred don't even get a scholarship, you know, there might be something wrong with this system. And I think half the guys that transfer the last couple of years have done worse statistically where they've transferred to. And so, it, it's not always the answer that well, this works out well, but. It's that's that's the world we live in, and you know kids are gonna make that decision. And again, someone will be good, some will work. I remember one year a team who I won't mention took four grad transfers, who were their leading scorers on their teams. They never played on the team they transferred to. They never played. They just weren't good enough. That doesn't happen all the time, yeah. but it happens. It happens. Crazy world. It's a different world. And uh, there's lots to talk about for guys like you. You, got, you, you can talk all day and long. You, you have a talk show for 12 hours. I'm not going to have a talk show. I won't, I won't go that low. I'm not going that low. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll do some games. <laughs> but uh, hey. that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> hey, I had to put kids through Michigan and Indiana. I'll go as low as I need to go, man. I. I haven't eaten a grapefruit in 20 years, but I'll endorse the hell out of a grapefruit. I got, I got bills to pay, pal.
<laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. <laughs> hey, whoever you're working for in the media this year is lucky because I think you're the best. Your opinions, your smart, your common sense. I mean, what the hell? I can't wait to see you, Coach. I, 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 uh, I hope you're doing a ton of games. I hope you're in studio, and I hope you're smart enough to get a talk show because you'd have a great talk show. But, hey, look, some coaches aren't that. that smart. But I'll nah. tell you for sure, I know at some point, whatever I'm doing, you're going to be criticizing my work at some point in time. You can say, what the heck is yeah. that Bayheim doing out there? That's what you <laughs> No. I'm just going to call no, your you, wife uh, and tell her to take, take care of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you've reached you've reached exempt status with me because you're always so good to us boss hey tell julie hello and thanks coach thank you so much i will thank you Great. he's the best i'm telling you coach Beheim is the best i mean a fun energetic uh just a great 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 and he'll do wonderful things in the media he will. I got a lot to get to. I got the five biggest scumbags in Hollywood. Yeah, I do. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Oh, man, what a great day. Thanks to all you guys on YouTube, and thanks to all y'all on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else for joining us. Show's exploding. Great guests. Thanks to Ryan and Aaron for getting that done. The whole crowd out here is just absolutely spectacular. Brooke, we're just rocking and rolling. Frank Reich, Mensa member. Remember, uh, Frank Reich is smarter than everyone. You Carolina Panther fans, you're getting ready to get a dose of disappointment, just like I told Chicago fans when they hired Chuck Pagano to be the new offense or defensive coordinator of the freaking Bears. I'm like, you guys don't know what you're in for. Frank Reich is full of crap. Frank Reich is saying quarterback Bryce Young working with the starters was 10 out of 10 in practice. Oh, baby, that means your defense must stink. See, that's the problem with coaching. The problem with coaching is this. You get going and you think, all right, he's 10 out of 10. No, that's great, man. But how bad's your defense? Serious business. How bad is your defense? I just want to know what you think. I mean, is our defense that bad? Is our defense no good? Is our defense crapola? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But it sure seems like, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. 
Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, we call him the mad crapper. When DeAndre Hopkins was in Indianapolis as a wide receiver out of Clemson, he decided that DeAndre Hopkins and the Rutgers wide receiver, can't remember his name, were going to crap all over a hotel room, put it on the walls, the ceilings. Dude was sick back then. I don't know if he still is, but now he's like a guy. So the mad crapper on what he's looking for in a new team, stable management, quarterback who loved the game. He's stressed that Kyler Murray does, but he's injured. A great defense because defense wins championships. Let me explain something to you. If you want DeAndre Hopkins on your team, great. Just know you got the mad crapper. And apparently DeAndre Hopkins, maybe he's grown up. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know this. DeAndre Hopkins in my world, I wouldn't want to be around him. Because anyone that's capable of being a mad crapper and putting it all over walls is inside somewhere somehow a sick individual. I don't need it on my team, and I don't need acquiescing to DeAndre Hopkins and what he thinks is. Uh, Raiders owner Mark Davis, he of the really weird haircut, told Jared Bell that he is against flex scheduling for Thursday night, and he took a little swing at the Chargers. If you have a Raiders-Chargers game in Las Vegas scheduled for a Thursday and all the fans driving from L.A., the Raider fans and all three all three Charger fans buy their tickets and book their hotels. How in the hell do you schedule it and now say, sorry, it's now on Sunday? How in the hell do you do that? And he's absolutely right. Mark Davis is 1,000% right. If we're all from Indianapolis, and we'll have six fans, not three. Come on, Mark Davis. I like the shot, though. If we all decide, hey, look, Colts are playing the Raiders and we book everything, what does that do? When all of a sudden they say, no, we're making it Sunday, you can't do that. I agree with that. You can't do that. If you want to flex a game from 4 to 1 or 1 to 4 or a Sunday night football, that's cool. But how are you going to do that nonsense? That's just silly. That's crazy talk. Why are we engaging in crazy talk? I don't need crazy talk in my life. Yeah, I don't need it. I don't need it. Man, but he's right. Look, if you want to tell us here in Indy, hey, look, the 1 o'clock game against the Titans is going to now be at 8. All right. I mean, it's not convenient. Like December 3rd, I'm going to go to the Titans game. Indianapolis is playing in Tennessee. I go to the game. I go every year. Okay. Well, it's a 1 o'clock game. If they want to say it's now an 8.30 game, then I got to adjust. But it's not at least, I don't, you know, maybe I got to get an extra hotel night. Maybe I got a plan to do the show from 6th and Peabody. But it's not like switching a game over. We don't need that in our lives, do we? I don't think that we do. I honestly don't. You know, it's Tuesday, and I give you a top five. Now, Hollywood has some top fives, and some of them are remarkable. I would argue the number one scumbag in the history, in the history of Hollywood is Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein makes number one on my history, but I got to tell you something about Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein... And this isn't a defense of Harvey Weinstein. He is the biggest scumbag in Hollywood, but he was enabled for years. 
If you go back and you listen to any show, they talk about it on Friends. They talk about Harvey Weinstein in different shows. They have all these women that came out later, loved Harvey Weinstein, right? I remember an interview with Howard Stern when he's asking Harvey Weinstein about banging all these actresses using his position as a producer. It was interesting because, man, the casting couch was talked about on Friends. Joey was going to have to sleep with somebody. Fascinating stuff. But Harvey Weinstein is now the poster child for bad behavior in Hollywood after everyone in Hollywood kissed his ass. Uh, I don't mean that in a sexual way. I mean that even knowing that this guy was a perv, this guy used his position, this guy did things that now apparently changed from okay for years and years and years, which I don't understand that, to now being the worst criminal ever. I never understood. I was listening to Stern one day, and he had Weinstein on, and they were talking about it. And Weinstein was so uncomfortable. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think all this is okay. But it was always out there. It was always out there about Harvey Weinstein. It was unbelievable, this scumbag. The biggest scumbag, though, really is Bill Cosby. I mean, here's the deal. The world knew Harvey Weinstein was a creep, a criminal, whatever. But Bill Cosby had us all fooled. Bill Cosby was America's dad. Bill Cosby, I went to see Bill Cosby in concert at Indiana at homecoming. We had records of Bill Cosby at Pat Burns' house when I was a little kid, his older brother did. And then there was Fat Albert, hey, hey, hey. And the Cosby show and everything, Bill Cosby was this wholesome, never swore in his concerts. You guys remember this, don't you? You guys remember all of this. We remember Bill Cosby before the show. Never swore. Never. Ever. It's unbelievable, this guy Cosby. And all he was doing at the time was the sleaziest thing ever. I mean, in a weird way, Weinstein was a better guy than Cosby because Cosby tricked you brought you in with this persona, and then he drugged you. Think about that action. Think about that. If somebody would say to you, you know what? Bill Cosby wants you to come to his hotel and read lines. Uh, You'd probably be like, all right. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. And then all of a sudden he's hitting on you and you'd be like, whoa. And then next thing you know, you're passed out, your pants around your ankles and Cosby's giving you an NDA or something. What a creep. He might be the worst of all time. He might be. Weinstein, everybody knew. Everybody, every, I I think it was on, I know it was on Friends. It was on all kinds of different shows. They mentioned Harvey Weinstein. Cosby, nobody knew and he tricked you. Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, number three. Now, look, history probably has bigger scumbags, but we're doing kind of a current thing here. Full disclosure, loved Alec Baldwin in 30 Rock. I did, not going to lie. Thought Alec Baldwin was terrific. 
The whole shooting of Alec Baldwin is just, you know, I don't know what to make of it. I honestly don't. But my thing with Alec Baldwin goes way back. When he called his daughter a pig. When somehow, someway, he thought it was okay to leave a screaming, yelling, ridiculous, insane message yelling at his daughter. Now, I'm sitting there going, hey, Baldwin, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, when you go to Wikipedia, because Baldwin is a liberal, it makes him look out to be a decent human being. Philanthropy. Yeah, really? All right. And then, of course, it gets into the crap. Now, the fact that he was married to Kim Basinger, who was my all-time girl, who I saw in a Charlotte airport, and I am not going to lie, I was very disappointed, but hey, that's probably sexist. I don't know what it, I don't know. But, you know, whatever. Uh, The fact that he was married to her means that I can't be too brutal. But anyway, uh, yeah. The fact that, I don't know, he called his 11-year-old a rude, thoughtless pig. Somehow the tape got sold. He assaulted a photographer for videotaping Kim Basinger. He was on a plane playing words with friends. He wouldn't stop. He became belligerent, had to be removed from a plane. He apologized. And then, of course, the shooting incident. The shooting incident, you know what, on the film Rusk, is I don't really understand how that can possibly happen. I don't, I do understand, maybe you can exonerate, uh, based on what I read, uh, he's given a gun, I would assume that nobody would point a gun, he's stupid enough to do it, next thing you know, boom. People are dead and he's charged with manslaughter. I, look, I don't know, April the charges were dropped, and next thing you know, he's scot-free, another liberal going free, from something heinous. Uh, Some guy named Ezra Miller. If you look up a guy named Ezra Miller, you're looking up the modern-day human being cartoon. You're looking up a guy who is so weird, so disgusting, so ridiculous, so perverted at 30 years old that he's not really a human being. It's like I said about Princeton. When I was at Princeton, all of the guys were effeminate, and all of the girls were cartoon characters. So this guy, Ezra, Ezra Miller, decides it's okay to break in places. He's a breakout LGBTQ plus icon, but he has a problem. He breaks into places. He steals stuff. He does a lot of stupid stuff. He was caught on tape choking, choking a woman in a bar, throwing her to the ground. It's a second incident. The dude is a ridiculous human being arrested for disorderly conduct at a karaoke bar, yelling obscenities, grabbing the microphone. He was arrested for intimidating, verbally harassing a woman in Germany. The parents of an 18-year-old teenager got a protective order against him, accusing him of psychologically manipulating physically, blah, 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 blah. Rolling Stone said that he was hosting a 25-year-old mother and three children. The father of the three children, two anonymous sources, said the well-being, there was weapons, there was drugs. They chronicle interactions with a 12-year-old. This is the sickest dude in Hollywood. But of course, because he is an icon in the LGBTQ, whatever the hell it is, community, he's still roaming the streets. 
I mean, the list on this clown is ridiculous. The list of this guy is absolutely absurd. But again, he's a liberal. He's in Hollywood. He's an icon. He wears eyes around his face, as you see here. So he's somebody that we are supposed to pay attention to. And we give a pass because, well, that's what we do. Okay. All right. There you go. Yay, Ra. Go fight win. Last but not least, I, I never thought I would say this, but I thought Will Smith and his wife were always kind of, again, it's the, it's kind of, is it not the Bill Cosby thing? You know, Jada Pickett and Will Smith, next thing you know, Jada Pickett screwing everybody in Hollywood. Will Smith is slapping Chris Rock because he's disrespecting my woman. I mean, it's the damnedest thing. I thought Will Smith was just a normal dude. I thought Will Smith was just a guy. I thought he was like, hey, all right. Kind of like what I thought about Bill Cosby. But apparently Will Smith and his uh, wife, I guess she's his wife, get really freaky. Apparently they like to freak it up. Now, hey, look, you got all the money in the world. Magic Johnson used to love to freak it up. Word was Magic got bored with girls, boy, whatever. I don't know, allegedly. So maybe you get in Hollywood, maybe you get to a certain level, and you just got to freak it up. I don't know. But I am shocked that I am going to include Will Smith on this. Great smile, bankable star, fantastic actor, seems really good, the fresh prince, leading man, you name it, Will Smith is it. But next thing you know, he and his wife have the weirdest crap going on. Next thing you know, he and his wife, he's up there slapping people. And of course, we know why. Liberal, Hollywood, African-American, his career doesn't suffer. He'll be fine. We all know this. But damn, this dude was such a big star that he hosted the Nobel Peace Prize concert. Sheesh. And when you go to the Wikipedia, I don't even think it talks about it. Because Wikipedia, along with awful announcing and others, just simply goes, hey, we're good. We're fine. I don't think it does. I'm looking at his Wikipedia right here. I don't see anything about the slap. Interesting. Huh. All right. There you go. Now, I guess it does. Oscars confrontations about that big. Good for you. Good for you. All right. Man. All right, wokey dopey me, will you please? Give me a wokey dopey me. Woke dope me. Crazy. This world's crazy around here. The world is not. Kids can make their own decision and consent to do whatever they want. Right. This is where we're headed, ladies and gentlemen. This is where we are headed. I'm telling you. We are headed towards, I've already seen in some states, or I guess in some areas, they're starting to relax rules, laws on pedophilia, minor consent. What is wrong with this world? So this is the next direction. The third on this will be, okay, let's do that. The idea that people, little kids, should go to, should go to drag shows, or be able to change their sex is ridiculous. You know this dysphoria thing. Can we talk about that? So someone's fat, 
right? Oh, I'm fat. I got fat this for you. What if everybody said, yeah, right, you're fat? Yeah, you're a fat ass. I mean, that's what we do with gender. When I feel like a girl, yeah, you're right, you're a girl. That's dysphoria. Well, it's fat dysphoria. What if you're mentally ill? You know, I think I'm mentally ill. Yeah, you are. You're sicko. You're psycho. You're crazy. You're nuts. Well, that's dysphoria. But the only one that we don't do anything about, the only one that we don't try to cure or help is a 10-year-old saying, you know, I think I'm a girl. Oh, yeah, let's cut off your pee-pee. All right. Or I think I'm a boy. Yeah, let's give you a hormones. We, we just go along with it. I mean, every fat ass in the world right now is being celebrated. You know, every fat ass is saying, no, you're beautiful. That's dysphoria. That's fat dysphoria. We don't agree with any dysphoria in this world except change your sex. It's the dumbest thing I have ever seen in my life. Unbelievable. It's incredible to me. What else we got, woke dopey I'm sure, I'm sure that we will be attacked for calling fruits, but let's be honest, it's just a name. It's not hurting anybody. Vegetables is the best one. Did you see the Associated Press actually wrote an article saying that John Fetterman is back, more relaxed, healthier, wearing freaking hoodies and sweatpants and freaking shorts in Congress? And this dude here, I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest, Joe Biden is completely out of his ever-loving mind. Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. Joe Biden can't know where he is. Joe Biden doesn't know, and it's not getting any better. It is not getting any better at all. Not even a little bit for Biden. Now, these two on top, you know, whatever. The dude with the lipstick on the left, top left, he going to jail for a long time. He got caught stealing luggage again. Well, I've got luggage dysphoria. He won't go to jail. Hell, he should move to New York. They'll put him in a social media program. Serious business. What the hell are we doing? Hey, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but tomorrow we got America's Conscience, Bobby Barack. If you want to read interesting and unafraid, Bobby Barack is your man. Bobby writes for OutKick, and he's a Bonetti on our show. That's right. And tomorrow we're going to be doing the show from Harvard. I'm actually going to try to find a place on Harvard Yard to do the show. Now, we're staring, staying in an Airbnb somewhere, so I don't know whether we can get it done, and Internet is always the issue. But you would think that Harvard would have some kind. It is graduation at Harvard. I am not going to be doing the show Thursday. Armando and I think Jonathan are. So, uh, Jennifer, there you go. It's either Chad or Jonathan. I'm not sure. Greatest player coach of all time is Brian Scalabrini. Don't tell me about Bill Russell. Bill Russell only won like seven championships as a coach. I don't want to hear. It's Scalabrini. LeBron James tried. Yes, he tried, ladies and gentlemen. He tried hard. He tried to be a real dude. He tried to be a player coach, but he didn't make it. It didn't happen for him. Damn it. Hmm. Tomorrow, are we going to be celebrating the demise of the Celtics? Tomorrow, 
Are we going to be celebrating the divide? Not celebrate, because I like Joe Missoula. I don't know Joe Missoula, but I thought Joe Missoula, I always heard that Joe Missoula was a really good dude, a really tough guy, a fantastic individual, and I'm rooting for him. And I'm rooting for Brad Stevens. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, man. Uh, Dan, pretty interesting. DD typically spends 90 minutes, really an hour and a half on the show, ripping on liberals, but spends a lot of time at Harvard. Wondering if he's just grifting on all of us. Sure, absolutely. 100%. I am, no doubt. 100%. I'm grifting, whatever that means. I like Harvard. I'm not going to lie. When I go to Harvard, it's not like people are walking around telling me liberal thoughts. I just like the area. I like going to Felipe's and getting a margarita. I do. I like going to El Jefe's. I like going to get a burrito. I like going to dinner. I like walking around because it makes me feel smarter. Yeah, it's a grift. This whole thing's a grift. It is. Or it's a man, me, that is finally free to speak the truth into the world because I am tired of the crap that we have to endure on a daily basis. A U-Haul truck ran into the gates, I guess, of the White House. Guess what? It wasn't a white dude. Shocking. I thought white supremacy was the biggest scourge Uh, The guy had a Nazi banner. Could you stage anything more, Joe Biden, and your team? Is there anything more staged? You probably couldn't find a white dude to do it. So they got some dude from Missouri. They took out the Nazi flag or the Confederate flag and put it out there for everybody to see for a photo op. We still haven't released a manifesto here in Nashville. We still haven't heard anything about the crime in Waukesha where a dude ran through, but hey, a flag. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Jeez. The world is nuts. All right. Yes, I'm coming. My brother-in-law is here, Donnie Lemon. He always comes when we leave. He couldn't make it out to Boston, but he could make it here. So he's watching the dog, and I got to catch a flight. We'll talk to you tomorrow from Boston. From Boston, see ya.